Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and another episode, episode 25 of Beyond the Page. It's the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of the magazine, host of this podcast, and I'm in our office recording studio, foam squares on the wall, a few wedged under the bottom of the door, with regular contributor Lee Carr. For the second straight year, Lee wrote and reported a great three-story cover package focused on golf courses and the environment, including a cover story about Brianne Kenny. Brianne is Troon's still relatively new manager of environmental science. We talk about what Lee learned during her reporting, what golf courses across the country are doing to work more in concert with the environment and more. But first, before any of that, a quick word from CPRO, the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but also help manage and enhance poa annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass and Legacy and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. Their full lineup of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best. Visit them at cpro.com to learn more. Lee Carr, after the break. Lee, welcome, formally, really, for the first time, to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me in here. So last April, you wrote three great stories. There was the uh, 30th anniversary of Audubon, which was really the spark for the whole package. And that, I think, carried the package, but three tremendous stories. This year, like you said, it's a little more corporate, I think, is the, the term that you used to describe it. But really, that's only because the cover story, the, the person on the cover is Brianne Kenny, and she works for Troon, but what an environmental leader, what a tremendous person for this industry. Before anything else, before we talk about Brianne, because Brianne is somebody that I think everybody in this industry needs to know whether they work for a Troon course or not, just somebody good to know and somebody good to uh, have on speed dial, what were your impressions of the 2022 stories that you did over 2021? I know there's not a lot of uh, change and development in environmental issues over 12 months. The earth is going to go on with or without us. Uh, but what were your overall impressions of these series stories compared to last? Well, you, you can get into different topics and there's lots of things to say. I think you're right that it's not necessarily that the efforts for the environment change all the time, but I think people's approach does change. And as people move through their careers, they learn new things or they find things that do or don't work. And so one of the fun things about the environment is there's always something different to pick up and try or different approaches with different management styles and so forth. So that's what I noticed most. Brianne, again, Brianne Kenny, kind of the subject of the main story in the package, but again, three-story package. 
She is officially the manager of environmental science at Troon. I think Troon has 14,000 employees. She is literally the only person at that company with that title. And I don't know many managers of environmental science, period. I'm sure there's more than one, but not many. When you talked with her, what were your impressions of her, of what she does, of what she's trying to do, not only, again, for Troon courses, but for the industry and, and really just for, for golf courses in general? So, yes, and Troon has grown so much. They have over 600 courses now in 30 countries and over 24,000 employees. So they are just 24. huge. Yes. Um, and so, but it's always a joy to talk to people who really love what they're doing. And you can tell with Brianne that she just has found something that she has a lot of natural interest in. And her story about how she got into the industry is very interesting because she started off um, waitressing for a Troon property and then moved to the grounds crew, traveled around doing some different things as she got her graduate degree from Miami University. And from there, kind of discovered golf courses. She didn't come at it from a golf background. She came at it from the natural sciences. And so the way she sees courses is completely different, and she completely appreciates the natural aspects of courses. And her interest lies in helping the industry become more environmentally aware or move through regulations and, I guess, tackle things from the environment side of things as opposed from the corporate golf side of things. So she, she compliments Troon so well and what their objectives are. And she really, she's, she's a joy, like I said, to talk to, and we've got a lot to learn from her as she learns more about golf. Pretty unique career path, working for the same company as a waitress, and then not really a company, a corporation, really, 24,000 employees, but being a waitress and then working your way up in pretty short order, pretty, pretty quickly, uh, to this incredibly unique position. Did she talk at all just about that process? Uh, because it's, it's, I mean, I feel like if you can handle people in a restaurant, uh, you can probably do pretty much anything, but did she talk at all about that, that process, uh, that rocket climb to becoming the manager of environmental science? Yes. So like I said, she started off waitressing and one of the things that attracted her there was the Truant scholarship, which she earned. And then she realized as she was waitressing that, you know, I would actually rather be outside. And she had been asking some questions of the superintendent and the horticulturist there and obviously had some synergy. So she moved outdoors. And then, like I said, Troon is so big, she was able to move seasonally to some different properties in Wyoming and Washington. And just, like I said, discovered how much she enjoyed maintenance and being out there and problem solving in the way that you have to. And then... Jeff Spangler and some of the other people that she worked with realized what a good fit she would be for some of Troon's objectives and what they were trying to accomplish with the environment. And, you know, they basically offered her the position and said, let's try it out. What would what would it be like to have a manager of environmental science? And the way she's able to support superintendents and all the directors of agronomy and also, like I said, learn from them and work together has given Troon kind of this extra surge of what they want to accomplish with the environment and how they want to tackle those objectives. Now, I'm sure this was in the story. I re- reread this over the weekend, and I'm completely blanking. I have it open in front of me. She's been in this position how long, Lee? I believe it was um, 2019 because it was okay. right before the, the pandemic. And then so, obviously, because of the pandemic, she 
she was more locally based, but now that the travel restrictions have lifted, she's able to go and visit more courses. So she was doing a lot virtually, um, and now she's able to get out and see more and more of the courses and, and work with the superintendents and the directors of agronomy in those places. So she's been at it for a few years, but it's like the job kind of keeps evolving. <laughs> well, I feel like anything that you started in, in 2018, 2019 is going to have had a pause or a hiccup or and, and changed tremendously since then. So about three years in and now running full speed, a lot of travel, a lot of course visits, what have been her early impressions of what she's going to be able to do Again, both for Troon, but for, for golf courses in general, because I'm sure there will be lots of people outside Troon properties who are able to apply some of the things that she learns and passes along, And because research and, and collaboration are so key in this industry. Yes, so her three main objectives are to help Troon properties meet, you know, kind of state, county, federal guidelines um, for what they need to be doing for their courses. The next objective is to help all those courses meet what Troon is trying to do. And then the third objective is to help courses be certified by Audubon or some of the other certifications that you can achieve. And she describes this as think of a tree. And one of my favorite moments of interviewing her, she said, any tree you want, because <laughs> she loves all <laughs> kinds, right? And so she said, so think of it like any tree you want. And the, you know, the roots of the tree are going to be the government guidelines that we need to be meeting. The The trunk is going to be what True needs to be doing for its own internal purposes. And then, you know, the leaves and the flowers, kind of, she said, just like being pollinated, will come naturally when you've hit those first two objectives. So that's where she's approaching things and coming from. And she's already been involved with water conversations at a government level in Arizona. And she's she's able to with the support of Troon, obviously, help develop policy and influence government regulations and be sort of an authority or an expert in those areas. And so it's great. It's fun to watch. And I'm excited to see kind of where all of that is going to go. And just your impressions, just talking with her, because I know you weren't on the photo shoot. Again, she's on the cover. Some great photos of her uh, in the magazine. And she has, real quick aside, she has this little clip that I think goes onto her backpack straps for her binoculars, and so her binoculars are down around her stomach when she's not using them, rather than just flopping around her shoulders. Kind of ingenious, and I think I think our editor, Guy Cipriano, now wants to find out what that little gadget is and adapt it for his own use when he's out and about. Uh, but just in talking with her, just your impressions, long term, what do you think she's going to be able to accomplish in this industry? Uh, I think the sky's the limit. Um, I... I it, to me, like I said, it's always fun to watch people who have a natural joy for what they're doing or people who seem to be born for the job that they're in. But at the same time, her talents are so numerous, I guess you could say. Just her easygoing personality, and she's sharp and um, astute. But most of all, like I said, she seems to genuinely care about the work that she's doing and I think that's a recipe for success kind of in whatever field you're going to choose to be in, to just work hard at it and figure out what you want to do. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where she goes and what happens with Troon's policies and accomplishments from there. That is not the only story in the cover package. Two more, and we don't have to spend deep, deep dives into them, although if you want to, you're certainly welcome to. 
This is, again, a great cover package. I hope everybody has a chance to read it either in print when it arrives in your mailbox a little later this month or online if you're a digital reader instead. You wrote another story, Sense and Measure It. This is kind of dealing about new tech. And, again, I don't think it's overly commercial. I don't think it's overly corporate. You focus on Spio's uh, moisture sensors and also Deacon, named after Arnold Palmer's father. Uh, great product from the USGA that's had a lot of, I, I don't know, unintended uses, but definitely used in different ways in 2022 than maybe originally planned in 2018, 2019. Uh, I think when they were coming out, they were more heat map focused, and they've, they've really added a lot of different uses. Two really cool products. Let's start with those moisture sensors, sensors because I feel like that's, every time I talk about tech, that's one of the first things that every turf pro talks about in terms of like what has changed the way they do their jobs over the last five or ten years. Yes, yeah, so the sensors are on their second iteration, and they've moved from 3G to 5G. And I spoke mostly with Dave Latshaw for this story and also Tim Huber from the club at Carlton Woods. And it's it's remarkable to me that um, both Deacon and Spio, it, they're so data-centric, but for the Spio sensors, the fact that you are always receiving data from these sensors, or from these sensors, you know, it transmits every five hours, it gives you so much information to see, you know, what the playability is, how is the turf performing, and that's constant. So whether or not you are on or off property, you don't have to rely on anybody to take those measurements. Those measurements are constant. They are recorded. They are going to be there for you. And I think that's a stability and a consistency that's helpful to a lot of people. They, um, they do other things. They also test salinity and temperature. So you're getting a lot of information. And um, just released at the industry show in February was kind of a new dashboard. So you're getting more information than ever, and you can use it for your property and start to get those baselines. And um, Tim Huber, they, they started out with a few sensors, and they're moving to almost 200, mm-hmm. I think 180, if I remember correctly. And so it, that's remarkable. That just shows you how efficient those sensors and how productive those sensors have been for them and how um, much they've come to rely on the product. You know, the sensors, I mean, you don't have to be told, you know, to be able to save on hand-watering saves not only on water, <laughs> but on labor. And so when you can really understand those metrics and make it effective for your property and your course kind of year on year, that's going to lead to a lot of savings. Did you get any idea, more, more from Tim uh, than from Dave, uh, but Tim Huber, again, Director of Agronomy Club at Carlton Woods down in the Woodlands, Texas. Did you get any indication from him just how much he's able to save on water usage or bills uh, or how much he's able to lower the number of labor hours for that so he can allocate elsewhere, or uh, did he not share any of the ROI metrics with you? So we didn't talk too much specifically about that, but you can imagine how significant that must be to be able to invest in 150-so more sensors. <laughs> um, and so, um, and also people are moving from using the sensors just sort of around the greens or in the greens to using them in the fairways and in the roughs because, like I said, you can save water everywhere on course and also labor. So I think it is kind of a game changer for many, many properties. And Spio has clients kind of throughout the U.S. And um, 
like I said, it's another technology that's going to be fun to watch where it goes. And the other bit of tech, and I, I've written about this in the past, I think even before it had the name Deacon, uh, but the USGA's Deacon, little GPS trackers originally used, or at least the first time I wrote about them, to track golfers as they were moving around the course to heat map things, and all in an effort to essentially eliminate maybe certain maintained areas of the course, turning those back into uh, rough or just wild areas. It's come a long way just in, in three years. You talked with uh, somebody who I've, I've talked with quite a few times, Hunky Yoon from the USGA. He's the uh, director of business development, former newspaper guy too. What is the USGA doing with Deacon now besides rolling out old pictures of Deacon Palmer on <laughs> tractors from Latrobe Country Club, which are great too? Yes, so um, Deacon is another thing that has evolved, more tech that's evolved. And you're right, they were doing, and they still do, heat maps to see where golfers go and where you can change your um, your maintained acreage. But it's it's being more and more used as a resource for recording your your data, sort of when do you top dress, what did you put down, and what effect does that have on the playability, what was the weather. So you do have to take the recordings and you have to be consistent with that. But then, um, as I spoke with John Jeffries at Pinehurst Number 2, you have that information for years, and they've been doing it there for years. And so you can look back and see, and he used the example of, we set it up for one event as a practice kind of dry run because we, were new, we knew we were going to have another event the following year at the same time. So then we have all that information to look back on saying, what do we need to do, what worked, and how do we make it the best we possibly can? And he also brought up the point that you can use it for customer surveys. So somebody mm. comes in and says, oh, you know, it didn't play well here, or we had this problem in this spot of the course. And you can say, well, this is exactly what we did. This is where the pin was. This is what the conditions were. This was the weather. And so um, this is what the stimp reading was. Whatever you want, that's all recorded. And Deacon keeps that all in one place. Um, another way that that's being used when you have all that information is to pull together for some of your you know, government regulations. So if you have to say when you sprayed pesticides or when you did whatever, then you have that, like I said, all in one place, and that's super useful. That is kind of amazing. And for folks in this industry who love data and number crunching and keeping records, maybe not everybody, but I feel like enough people do that there's clearly a market for this. Uh, it, it's really cool to hear how far it's come, really, in just three years. Now, you said John, John Jeffries. He's just on number two at Pinehurst, but did he mention whether uh, Pinehurst is using it on any other courses as well. Lord knows they have enough down there in North Carolina. So there are a few other courses at that property, at the Pinehurst property, that are using that, and they do compare notes. So they do see kind of what everybody is doing and what's working at different places. And, again, it's just another huge resource where they can compare things. And it's obviously very different to walk into an executive or a board meeting and say, here's what I feel or here's what I remember, as opposed to saying, here are the numbers. This mm -hmm. is what we did. This is These were the results. And um, like I said, for superintendents to be able to compare with one another how things are going, it just gives them powerful, powerful data to interpret and to look at and to excel with, really. There's an old saying, and, and I have used it for years on my side gig, which is writing and, and hosting part trivia. I 
cannot remember who said it, but you are entitled to your own opinions. You are not entitled to your own facts. You go into a meeting with the board with a bunch of, like you said, with a bunch of feelings and opinions. It's not going to get you as far as if you have a binder full of data from the last 12 to 18 months. Yes, and it's it's impressive to board members and um, administration to show your investment and commitment to your product. Like They should understand that anyways, but they don't always. And when they can see, and some people just relate to numbers better than they do um, methodology or interpretations to what's happening out on the course, when you can see all that numbers and pro- all those numbers and provide that data, then, like I said, you have something much more powerful than I think we could do this or I think we could do that. You can say, we did this and this happened. And it's it's very specific. It's very exact. And that, um, again, creates kind of a baseline for everybody in the room because you're not just talking about one thing or another. You're talking about the data. You're talking about the numbers. And, and then there's ways to go with that. There's ways to take that further and to improve, improve or to maintain exactly what you're doing because it's going so well. And it's keeping your guests and your patrons and your players happy. <laughs> Shifting gears one more time because... If this were a baseball podcast, I would say you knocked it out of the park. But (laughs) we focus on golf course maintenance, so I don't know. It's like an eagle of a package. That that seems like a fair analogy. Thank you. (laughs) Excellent eco extras. Just fun little examples of what courses are doing to work in better concert with the environment. My favorite, the first, because I'm a sucker for bees, I'm a sucker for honey. GIE's president, Chris Foster, I think still keeps a hive... On the roof, I think, he used to keep his beekeeping suit in uh, the locker room where people keep their running clothes, which, oh, hmm, a little sweaty. But Kennett Square Golf and Country Club in Pennsylvania, one of many, many clubs that harvest their own honey. You know, are they even the only course in Pennsylvania? No, no. But what is it about Kennett Square Golf and Country Club's honey? That, uh, that you focused on them and, and you talked with, is it Steed or Stead? Paul Stead. I believe it's Stead. Stead. All right, Paul, if you're listening and we mispronounced your name, I apologize. So what what's special about what they're doing at Kennett Square is that it's been so successful. They started with two hives, added two more in the next two years, and are making a tremendous amount of honey, but have done so well that they've been able to provide nucleus colonies for other courses in the area. So they do have the challenge of mites, but um, like I said, they harvest so much honey, and, and honey is so heavy. <laughs> I was really literally, shocked. Literally your lead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A five-gallon bucket full of honey weighs 55 pounds. That's shocking to me. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so they have all this honey, and they, they put it in jars, and they hand it out to students after environmental tours, or they can use it to give to as prizes for local raffles. And it's just, it's great branding and for the course. But Paul really has an interest in beekeeping, which is, I'm sure, part of the reason that the hives have been so successful. But they also have them near a riparian buffer area that they've created. And, and it just, there's a lot of synergy, right? The bees help those areas grow. Those areas obviously provide what the bees need. And so it's just been very successful. And it's just grown to the point where um, it's manageable for Paul and it's great for the course and for anybody who really likes honey. (laughs) One of the other folks you talked with, and I don't want to 
give away every single thing in this package because <laughs> I feel like we've talked about a ton. But Angelica Carmen, who I've never talked with, but now that you've talked with her twice and she's been featured in the magazine twice, I feel like I know her a little bit, that parasocial relationship that everybody's talking about where you listen to a podcast and you feel like you know the host. She was at Cog Hill, and you talked with Chris Flick at Cog Hill again as well, kind of updating folks on what they're doing. But Angelica has moved to Mistwood Golf Club in Romeoville, Illinois. What's she doing there? Because I thought she was pretty well situated at Cog Hill. I thought she was going to be there for a while, but uh, new challenges? So, yes. So, um, Angelica has moved to Mistwood and is the sustainability specialist there as well. So, basically, kind of same position, new property, and uh, the superintendent there, Ben Kellenhofer, has just decided that, or, I mean, is happy to be working with Angelica as they, again, just kind of boost what they're doing environmentally and he really believes that that's kind of the future of the golf maintenance industry is to be more, I guess, environmentally responsible. And um, Angelica obviously has always had a passion for what she does and was very successful in her initiatives with Chris Flick at Cog Hill. And yes, the in fact, the bile swale that they did together um, is one of the things I wrote about the update on that. It's doing very well and accomplishing what they want. Please check that out. But so Angelica is doing more of the same in a new place. And so it's kind of fun that she's taken her talents to yet another property, which will continue to grow and benefit from all the knowledge that she has. And I wouldn't be surprised if she just helps Mistwood tremendously in the next few years and, and maybe another club tries to poach her away and, and get all of her knowledge and all of her abilities. And can you do this for us? <laughs> you've done it at Cog Hill. You've done it at Mistwood. And she becomes this, I don't know, not a Johnny Appleseed, maybe like a, a Jill Appleseed. Uh, you updated the bioswale at, at Cog Hill to, I'm guessing, everything at Cog Hill, which is in uh, also in Illinois. Still just an environmental leader as much as they were last year when you wrote about them? Absolutely. And they have a huge property, 72 holes. And the, the biggest thing that I worked with Chris about was that, yes, that bioswale that they were installing has done very well. Players comment on how nice the area looks, and it's accomplishing all that they wanted to. It's, you know, clearing the rinsate and um, uh, trapping the grass clippings and things like that. So they do have to clear it out every once in a while, but um, they said that it's just a huge improvement, and, and it's, not, it's not very expensive to do. They have such a big property that it costs a little more, but um, you can improve a small area and help your rinsate station in this way for not very much. So Chris would be the expert on that and Angelica too. But, um, you know, they chose the right plants and everything, and it's, it's all thriving. So that was um, partially funded by a grant from the Fairways Foundation. And like I said, it's just nice to see those projects succeed and do well and to be able to learn from them. Have to ask, April 2021, April 2022, great cover packages. Is this an annual tradition now, unlike most others? Uh, do you have any ideas for April 2023? I do, actually. On the way oh, really? here, I got an idea. <laughs> but I'm not going to share it because okay. we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I do. I was reading through some of the things and my notes, and I thought, oh, but we haven't talked about that. So maybe, I don't know, we'll have to see. That'll be up to you guys and where the magazine is and what the readers want to hear about. So <laughs> I do have one idea for next year, but we'll just see what happens. Awesome to hear. So I mentioned at the top, you and I were both in, 
Well, we stayed in South Carolina because you can't stay very close to Augusta during Masters Week. But we were both at Augusta National last week on Wednesday. We were evacuated twice. There was rain. Uh, we almost got caught in traffic. All these little things. And, and honestly, none of it mattered. I loved it. What were your impressions of uh, Augusta National and the Masters? And to be fair... We both have stories that will be online by the time this podcast drops, so there's it's in print too, but uh, what did you think? Oh, I don't think we have enough time for all of <laughs> my thoughts about uh, the Masters and Augusta National. And I wanted to say too, if, if the readers or anybody listening has ideas about the environment that they would like to see covered, please send them, send them in to us. We'd love to hear more about that. But back to the Masters, <laughs> I... I told Guy when we were walking around, my cheeks just hurt from smiling. I was having so much fun. I couldn't I couldn't take it all in fast enough, you know. And it's gorgeous. It's uh, amazing to watch the people as well as the golf and to just see the grounds. I think I was most interested to just see everything that was happening. But my favorite part of the day was probably the par 3 contest because um, you see a lot more golf than you see par 3 contests. But... There's really nothing quite like it. So as somebody who was there for the first time, I, I, I just could not take it all in. But it was amazing. Whatever, everything I did see and experience was well done and incredible. And I don't know what it would be like to go back kind of 5, 10, 15 years in a row. People who have badges and who are there every year, you must meet so many friends and have so many acquaintances I can't imagine the different things you see every time you go. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot to think about. What did you think? Well, I don't watch a lot of televised golf, even the Masters. I only had it on for about an hour over the course of the weekend because I have a five-and-a-half-year-old. We, <laughs> we did other things. But uh, I, I feel like if you are a devotee of the course, it's very easy to notice where every little changes, or at least the big changes, are each year. This course is – or this hole is longer. This hole is longer. We took out some trees here. We added some trees here. But as someone who doesn't look into every little detail, uh, just looking at the big picture, trying to look at it more uh, from a macro level, just walking around. I love I love walking golf courses. And we didn't quite get walking from 1T to 18 green because, again, there were thunderstorms. There was a tornado in the afternoon somewhere in the area. So we had to evacuate at noon. We were let back in about an hour later. We had to evacuate at four, um, but just just to walk, it was just amazing. And and the one thing I think Augusta got was about three inches of rain on Tuesday, the day before we were there. You would have never known it. It's amazing the the sub air system that has been developed there, and, and a lot of credit to, to Marsh Benson and a lot of other people. Um, it, it's amazing how dry that ground was. There were people sitting on the grass, eating their pimento cheese sandwiches and their Georgia pecan chocolate clusters and drinking their uh, mixed Arnold Palmer's, uh, one cup of lemonade and one cup of sweet tea. And their bottoms were not wet. They got up, and they were completely dry. It was amazing, and that would not have happened at any other course probably in the world where they got three inches of rain the day before. Yes, they had those sub-airs humming and um, ground covering to kind of help with the walking in the steep places and... I don't know. Like I said, it's it's incredible to see what they are able to do through a large staff, lots of volunteers, many resources. Um, 
but and this is what I wrote with my impressions that it, it's an accomplishment. It's it's not something that just happens. It's all thought through. It's all well executed. It's Every it's planned and uh, accounted for, and um, you know it's exemplary. It, it, that deserves to be praised. It's just not something that that everybody's able to accomplish, right? No, so no. that's part of what makes it fun to be there and to see it and uh, enjoy. One last thought on Augusta, and I walk a lot. Uh, I walk usually sidewalks, neighborhoods. Uh, if, I'll, if I'm nearby, I'll walk through trails and woods and whatnot. But I, I try to walk at least five miles a day, at least an hour a day, and that usually gets me to about ten to 11,000 steps. So among turf pros, I'm probably middle of the pack. But I, I, I walk a lot for normal people. I was not prepared for the actual elevation change. So I wear a little GPS watch. It tells me the number of stairs or stair equivalents, flight equivalents that I have climbed that day. And today, by about 9.48 in the morning, I'm at five. And it always undercounts. Like, I never go up the stairs and clicks another one. When we were there, and we were walking around for hours and hours, I apparently climbed the equivalent of about 55 flights of stairs. And again, we were evacuated twice. I just, up and down, and you don't even realize it when you're doing it. No, and it, it is one of the things that people said. They said, you're not going to be prepared Mm-mm. for the elevation changes. It's it's not the same on TV, and e- even when people... So I heard this over and over again <laughs> before we went. So I thought, okay, I'm going to really think think big with the elevation changes. I, no, I was still... Um, I loved it because I like yourself. I enjoy walking around golf courses. It was it was really cool. It was really neat to see the the different elevations and um, and again particularly on the par three to be able to be at a certain spot on the course and look back and just see tier after tier of the patrons and have those hillsides filled with people enjoying themselves and watching the par three and just being around the course. And the other thing is to hear the roars when people mm-hmm. cheer. Like, it just seems to kind of echo throughout the place. It's a special piece of property for sure. We're going back next year, right? I, I mean, that would be amazing. Sure. I'd be happy to go. All right. Well, let's 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 plan on it. Uh, 51 Wednesdays from now. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, I believe it'll be 359 days away. And I will... Bring great walking shoes, yes. and I will have two empty uh, cards for photos because both of mine ran <laughs> out, and I was deleting ten-year-old photos on there. And uh, we'll, we'll come even hungrier than before. I think I ate four pimento cheese sandwiches that day and three the next day. That, that's um, that's impressive. So. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> there, I think, like I said before, I think there's always going to be something to see and notice and those those changes are anticipated and documented before you go with the property um but i think personally there's always going to be something new to observe something or something you missed the first time something different i don't know i think it'd be incredible to go back well lee car regular i don't know is there another tier like frequent contributor i don't know um you write a lot for the magazine it's always great to talk with you it was great to spend some time with you And great to have so much of your work in the magazine. Read all of Lee's work in the April issue, all about the environment and what different courses and folks around the country are doing. As she said, if you have more ideas 
for the 2023 package. I think we're going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to pencil it in right now. <laughs> if you want to do it, we'll have room for it. Uh, so if you have ideas about what you want included in that package, reach out to her. Or you can send emails to Guy Cipriano or me, G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net or M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Lee, you're on Twitter, too, and I can never remember what your handle is. It's at Carmagovern. I'm on Twitter. C-A-R-R-M-C-G-O-V-E-R-N, Carmagovern. Ah, oh, it's fun. Great to talk with you. Thank sorry, you sorry to drag you in uh, after we spent three days together and never <laughs> recorded it. But really great package. Really fun few days with you in Georgia. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me in. Thanks again to Lee Carr for taking some time to go beyond the page. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass and Legacy and Musketeer to the golf industry along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions, whose full lineup of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best, and who's available online anytime at cpro, S-E-P-R-O, dot com. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning and Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drop on Thursdays. Our April issue will be online later this week at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. It includes Lee's environmental cover package, a feature about a leading Carolina surf pro, another feature about a superintendent author, and more. Even more stories and news are available in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up to receive that directly on our homepage, www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are the best in the biz, Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Wharton. We have a bunch of fantastic regular contributors, too. Trent Bouts, Tyler Bloom, you just heard from her for more than half an hour, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner is our national sales manager. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers and Amanda Cafardi make sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Always important. Irene Sweeney does everything and more. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Kolar, Cody Medic, Tom Bauman, Brock Andrada, and Patrick Briand are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without you. Thanks so much for listening. Friends, we heard Jim say, and welcome to another day at a course both charming and special. It's called Augusta National. And so began a splendid morn, after so much rain just poured and poured, when for some reason, would you believe, they let us walk from tea to green. 
Before Tiger grinned and Rory surged, before Friday's cut and the field's purge, before Scotty simply wowed, Guy Lee and I just walked the grounds. It helps, I think, masters first-timers, to have a friend a little wiser. Go here, watch them, check that, not this. Snap a photo. Make a wish. Guy helped so much, two trips will do that, and while we gawked, he just hung back. He did point out some recent change, but wanted us to seize the day. And so we did, from nine to noon, until we heard the sirens. Boo. Tea storms, tornadoes fast approaching, and on our walk they were encroaching. We dragged our feet as best we could, walking slowly through the wood. There was no rush. We tried to wait, but again we're told, evacuate. No sadder words could have been dispensed. Was our day now in the past tense? Radio tuned, forecast updated inside our car. We sat and waited. And then, a rush! A flash of patrons made their way back to the gates and... Could it be? Was that sign accurate? The course reopened for those with badges? Back in we walked, smiles unwavering. This was icing. A bonus. Gravy. The golf gods smiled on tens of thousands. Sent back inside to stroll and browse and... Browse we did. One, two, eighteen. And inside the golf shop. See, I... Sort of told a bunch of chums my travel plans. Please get me stuff? The line alone was Disney-esque, wrapped in curling, a midday rest. And once inside, Goonga Galunga, whole paychecks died in moments. Oompa! Six caps, three shirts, a quarter zip, a towel trio to clean club drips, some playing cards and divot tools, pin flags, ball markers. All are cool. My uncle wanted just... A ball for you, old Tom? An easy call. Never did see those trendy gnomes. Would have sat on my lap the whole way home. And then some lunch, as light as bricks. Pimento cheese, I ordered six. Four pecan clusters, lemonade, sweet tea, some bottled waters made, perhaps, from Old Ray's Creek, on twelve. Oh, and one banana, just to help refuel my legs on grassy stuff. Never enough potassium. Met up again with Guy and Lee. There was more course for us to see. Up and down and up again. Elevation change is real, my friends. We watched Cam, VJ, and Woozy. Then at the par three, Weir and Husey. The sun peeked through. The day was grand. And then, oh no, sirens again. Once more, a voice told us to leave. And this time, no. No clemency. We filed out at four o'clock, shoulders touching. Golf, small talk. Who knows the next time we'll return? Next year, I hope, without concern. If not, we've been there once, not twice. So, we've got that going for us. Which is nice. <laughs>